reading from the Gospel of Mark, beginning in the 11th chapter at verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look! The fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, greetings, Advent. It is uh, a deep sadness for me that I'm not able to be with you in person. Uh, as you all know, I've come to love your church your community, and uh, I'm, I'm here with you virtually, but it's not the same. And uh, I mourn the loss, and I look forward to the time when I can come back for the Lenten uh, preaching series. The passage I've just read uh, describes events that took place today, Monday, in Holy Week. After Jesus arrives triumphantly in Jerusalem on Sunday, he retreats to Bethany with his disciples that evening. And then on Monday, he comes back. And Mark tells us as he makes his way back to Jerusalem, he's hungry. And we follow him in the narrative toward a fig tree. And as we do so, we should probably already be wondering if there's some symbolic significance in Jesus going to examine a fig tree to see if it's bearing fruit. Maybe as Jesus neared the leafy tree, his disciples remembered the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten, so will I treat King Zedekiah of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who live in the land of Egypt. I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they're utterly destroyed from the land that I gave to them and their ancestors. Would Jesus likewise use this fig tree to teach some lesson or offer some parable as the Old Testament prophet did. I wonder if the disciples were 
perhaps wondering that. Jesus finds no figs on the tree, only leaves. And within earshot of his disciples, he pronounces a curse on the tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. But Mark doesn't let us, the hearers or the readers, linger there with our questions about this very bizarre incident. He briskly cuts to a new scene. Jesus arrives in the holy city and he heads straight for the temple. And the one who had formerly touched the sick and the young with such tenderness now starts to create a ruckus, to put it mildly. In the temple were money changers who helped the pilgrims who were streaming into Jerusalem from the diaspora uh, change their foreign coins for Tyrian shekels so that they could buy the animals they needed for the required sacrifices. Interrupting this entire exchange, in strides Jesus, and he begins to tip over the money changers' tables coins are raining down on the floor like confetti. He quickly takes charge as if he is now the presider over the temple's functions. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple, Mark says. And with that, he momentarily puts an end to the temple's regular worship. Everything grinds to a halt. Sound familiar? But what does all this mean? Shock and confusion must have been mingling in everyone's minds. What has Jesus just done? And why has he done it? Finally, Jesus speaks. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Those who have ears to hear, when they hear Jesus say that, may think of another of Israel's prophets. Jeremiah, whose words we just read a moment ago, and his famous sermon, Jeremiah's famous sermon of judgment on the temple. Jeremiah uh, once pictured the temple as a sort of bat cave for the unjust to flee to after finishing their escapades. By day, the wicked in Israel oppress immigrant sojourners, orphans, and widows, and by night, as it were, they retreat back to their lair to count the spoils of their conquests. And Jeremiah says they, they sing a little ditty to themselves as they do this. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They hum along merrily counting what they've stolen from the poor, all the while trusting that the temple will shield them from any judgment that they might fear. But Jeremiah warns, speaking the word of the Lord to the people huddled in the temple for safety. He says, here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know, I too am watching, says the Lord. Jesus, a new Jeremiah, if you like, rebukes God's people in the same way. Do not think, he says in effect, that you can persist in all your injustice, your exploitation of the poor, your idolatry, and then come and find sanctuary in the temple. The temple will not save you, 
when the judgment comes. And that judgment is on the horizon even now. And then that evening, he teaches all day, and then Jesus leaves and he goes out of the city, probably back to Bethany. And the next morning, Tuesday morning, in that holiest of weeks, as Jesus and his disciples head back toward Jerusalem, they see the fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day before, withered away to its roots, Mark says. And then, Mark tells us, Peter remembered Jesus' curse, and he blurted out, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Many readers of Mark over the, over the centuries have been struck by how Mark has constructed a sort of literary sandwich with the way he describes Jesus' actions with the fig tree and the temple. He's put the two halves of the fig tree story, the two pieces of bread in the sandwich, if you like, on the outside, so to speak, and in between them, the, the meat of the story, the meat of the sandwich, is Jesus' visit to the temple and his disruption of the buying and the selling that's happening there. Now, if Mark constructed that sandwich, if he built that literary sandwich to make a point, what is it? It seems that Mark wants us to connect what happened to the fig tree to what happened in the temple. Jesus pronounced judgment on the fig tree and it withered away to the roots. And likewise, Jesus pronounced judgment on the temple too, in a way. And a couple of chapters later, in Mark's gospel, he says to the disciples, looking down at the temple, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. The temple itself, the holiest of places, the site of God's presence to Israel, the place to worship the only true and living God will be destroyed. We cannot, friends, overestimate the sheer horror that Jesus' words would have conjured up for his disciples. It's maybe not completely unlike what we're living through right now. The destruction of the temple represents the end of the only world that made any sense to Jesus' disciples. It was the center of Jerusalem, the holy city. It was the center of the world, the place where heaven and earth meet and come together. It was the mountain that Isaiah said would endure forever. In days to come, Isaiah prophesies, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. How could it ever be that the temple would be destroyed again? Were such an unthinkable event to happen, it would mean the collapse of everything Jesus' followers held dear. Where would they offer sacrifices? Where would they worship? Where would they pray? And Jesus, turning to them in that moment, and I like to imagine him gesturing with his arm toward the temple mount as he says this. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. Strangely, mysteriously, Jesus indicates that his disciples will, in fact, live to see the destruction of the temple, but that even so, they may continue to trust God as they always have and pray as they always have. 
Even the unthinkable, even the collapse of the world cannot prevent God from hearing the prayers of his people. So I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, not the chief priests, not the scribes, not the Romans who think that they own the temple. I tell you on my own authority, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. On the basis of his authority as the world's true Lord, who will in just a few days time die and rise again, Jesus promises that those who come to God through him in his name will ultimately see their hope fulfilled. They will pass through the fire of divine judgment and they will be saved. Friends, I, I feel some days as if I'm watching the destruction of the temple, the collapse of civilization, the beginning of the end of life as I've always known it and taken it for granted. But what I am hearing when I turn to the risen Lord Jesus is the assurance that even though Jerusalem itself might be overrun, there is nothing that will thwart God's determination to, all, to be always and forever the God who hears and answers prayer, even if we can't be together in the place of prayer. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved, and though the mountains be toppled into the depths of the sea, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Thanks be to God. Amen.